0: Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson. They are fresh off of some just invigorating Fox talk, which is not to be confused with Sox talk, because the Fox talk happened off air. Sox talk will have to wait for a little while. Maybe we can get some Fox and Sox talk
1: some other time on a different podcast. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Well, I learned that a female fox is a vixen. Um, so that's what I've learned today. Yeah. What about the group of foxes? BC, were you paying attention during that
2: one? Uh, no, I wasn't. But is it a, isn't a baby fox a kit? Is that what it is? A baby fox is a kit. Yes. Yeah. All right. And so as long as we're educating people, a group of foxes are known as a skulk or a leash. And wasn't the fox on Fox and the Hound named Todd and the dog was named Copper. And man, that was a heart wrenching story when I was six years old. That is my favorite
0: Disney uh, animated movie.
2: That rips your heartstrings out though. When they say we'll be friends forever. Yeah. Forever. That's how it ends. I remember that very well. It just an uh, important life <laughs> lesson. Uh, they want the, the dog's owner wants to shoot the Fox right at the end. Doesn't he want to shoot him? And, the, and Copper stands in the way. Okay. Because that, that was his friend since they were little, since uh, since Todd was a little kid, you know, and uh, Copper was a little puppy. So, well, uh, so I t- mean,
0: Copper treated the fox like he's supposed to, and then the hunter comes running, and then Copper decides that he wasn't going to, to give up his friend Todd. Like, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a big emotional –
2: yeah, they had, They couldn't be, like, close friends anymore. But in that moment when it counted, Copper stood in front of Todd to save him. It's true. Anyway, that's <laughs> Fox and the Hound.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, next week we'll review another Disney movie. If there's one that you would like us to discuss, please let us know on Twitter and or on the Husker 24-7 message board. We're going to dive right into it today. The Davis Twins. Both of them selected in the NFL draft on Saturday, day three. Carlos Davis went to the Pittsburgh Steelers, but before that his brother Khalil Davis went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I guess, as they're, they're now known because of Brunson's favorite player, Tom Brady.
1: Yes. The, uh, I would argue that this was a bigger addition than Tom Brady. Is that fair?
0: Uh, yeah, I I don't know if I can say that Khalil Davis is a bigger addition than um, than Tom Brady.
1: Close though. You got th- you got you got three Huskers. You got three Huskers on that defense now. I that that satisfies the conditions for one of the local radio stations to air Tampa Bay Buccaneers games this year, right? Yeah, are you gonna call them the Buxkers? Yes. Yes. You already kind
2: of have, like, the crossbones pirate thing. So, I like it. I think that works. I think that works well. And their GM has a Nebraska connection, which I, yeah. think, I think that's part of the reason they are <laughs> so loaded with Huskers right now. But good for Khalil. That, and a sigh of relief, I felt like, uh, from Husker Nation when uh, when he was picked. You know, I think people expected Nebraska guys to maybe get picked late. But there's this waiting, waiting, waiting. And you start to worry when you get to the sixth round. There's, they're not going to get shut out again, are they? And so when Khalil got picked, it's like, okay, take a deep breath. Maybe this is the start of changing the trend of this Nebraska draft situation, which has been sort of abysmal of late. Yeah, so, I mean,
0: let's let's start there. Obviously, it's impossible to know whether Nebraska is going to have another 50-year streak. But do you feel comfortable that at least in the short term, that they are out of the woods, so to speak, with sort of their struggles they've had in the NFL drafts in recent years?
1: I So we, we talked last week a little bit about 2021 draft potential for Nebraska. We wrote about it on the site a little bit. I mean, I, I think... I don't think you're going to see a large number of guys picked next season. Like I still think you're a couple of years off from potentially getting back to, you know, four, four guys, four, four or five guys picked. I mean, I I think it's Hymas, maybe Farniak next year, and then some defensive guys that need to maybe take a step forward to to get in that conversation. I mean, I, I I would put the line at two next year. And I, I don't know that you would, uh, I don't know that I would go over that too, too readily. Right?
2: I think, well, I think they could get three or four next year, but Bruns is right. There's some guys who have to make a leap, you know, Deontay Williams, I think could be an NFL draft guy, but it's all based off of like practice perception and things we've heard behind the scenes. Um, so you're, you're sort of, putting a blindfold on when you say, oh yeah, Deontay Williams is going to get drafted. He's got to go out there and stay healthy and prove it. Um, ben Stilley's an interesting guy. I don't know where he would sit with NFL players with his body type and all that. I'm sometimes not as good at figuring that out. But at, at the very least, they, they are going to get a couple guys drafted next year, I feel like. And then um, the key after that is they need to start getting back into those first two days of the draft because. From 1971 to 2003, 33 straight years, Nebraska had at least one player picked in the first three rounds of the draft. And now four years in a row, they haven't had a player picked in the first three rounds. And if you think about the way it is broadcast now, this is like a lot of things. There's so much more fanfare around the draft in the early rounds than there was even in the 90s when Nebraska was really good. I'm not saying people didn't pay attention, but it's, it's trumpeted way more now Mm -hmm. and Nebraska football has just not been good or elite when some of this stuff has uh, been more under the spotlight. And so uh, they need to get back in there when everybody's eyeballs are on the screen and you get two or three guys. And the tough part is you're seeing like Iowa get a first round pick, you know, with an offensive lineman and you're seeing, Wisconsin have guys pop in there, uh, and obviously Ohio State's just killing it, and they're going to continue to. So that's where it's difficult. You've got to get into that, uh, into that fray because I think that matters a lot with recruiting now.
1: You need to well, get back. You need to get back in the round, the tie rounds, where Trey Wingo's wearing a tie. He gets into Saturday. He's got the open collar. You don't want to be there. You want to be buttoned up, Trey Wingo.
2: When he's not bashing Nebraska's <laughs> handling of Joe Burrow. <laughs>
1: Uh, that was that was not a that was not something that will probably make the recruiting tape for Nebraska, but <laughs> like no. No,
0: I don't I don't anticipate it. Well another thing that that kind of stood out is Nebraska only had two guys that were signed as undrafted free agents. I mean, they had this run, obviously, where it slowed down in terms of guys being taken in the draft, but they would still have a good three, four, five, six players from their graduating classes that would be signed as at least rostered depth. I mean, right now Brunts is wearing an Arizona Cardinals hat that he received as part of the mystery hat promotion that was maybe one of the most overblown things of the 2000s. But Chris Jones is a great example of someone who signed as an undrafted free agent, has stuck around on a practice squad, has made it into the NFL, I believe, into a game. I mean, they they didn't even have those guys this year. You had Lamar Jackson, who surprised me. I thought that he would get drafted. Uh, I thought the teams would look at his size and at least think, you know what, we can take a shot here. Because a lot of these guys, especially in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, the Davis Twins are going to fall into this category. You're not guaranteed a roster spot just because you were drafted. I mean, it's a, it's a bigger payout in terms of a signing bonus, but it's by no means more of a guaranteed spot. So um, I thought that Lamar might get a look that way. He ended up signing with the Jets as an undrafted free agent, which is a good spot because they need defensive backs to have the opportunity to compete. Darian Daniels, I believe, signed with the Washington Redskins, if I have that correct uh 49ers the 49ers my bad and so
2: those are the only guys right so far that we know of yeah. Uh, yeah I was surprised Alex Davis uh actually didn't get an invite yet because he had a very good pro day and I thought there this still could happen I thought there was some belief that he's a raw football player still in some degree and that they could mold him um Uh, Mohamed Barry didn't get a call yet from what I know of. He didn't have a great 40 time, unfortunately, at the pro day, but he played a lot of snaps. And usually guys like that who played multiple years as a starter at a school like Nebraska at least get a tryout, you know. So we'll see if when it gets closer to football resuming, if some of these guys maybe get a chance. I don't know. If Nebraska uh, Nebraska wanted
0: to, they could easily give Mo Barry a spot as a football intern – or something along those lines, and he could help out in the recruiting office. I, I think this is a different conversation entirely. I think that Mo Berry is the kind of guy that if he doesn't have a, a future NFL career waiting for him, he's the kind of guy I think you want to have involved in your program because of how well he speaks about Nebraska, how he's able to connect with people. Uh, I I just see – to me, that feels like a no brainer, but that's a, like I said, different conversation. Sorry to cut you off, Bruce.
1: No, I mean, it, it, I think one thing that's kind of working against a lot of these undrafted guys is, like BC said, I mean, in the past, you would have your your free agent signings, you go to a rookie mini camp, and then, I mean, a guy like Tommy Armstrong had this experience where you, you get hooked on with the team, you essentially have a quick tryout uh, at the end of the three days or however long it is, they decide if they want to sign you or not. and because of the the coronavirus stuff, I mean, you, you don't know if you're going to have that, when it's going to happen. And that's where, you know, a guy like Mo Berry, Alex Davis, I mean, maybe an Eric Lee, somebody like that would, you know, at least get a chance to come in, work out for a team, get your shot that way. Uh, I, I think Gerald Foster made the, the Redskins preseason roster that way. I think Pierce Nell kind of had a similar experience. And unfortunately, uh, you know, these guys are pretty much limited to, uh, you know kind of signing and, and waiting right now which I would imagine as a player when you've spent nothing but the last three months training for that day uh, that's kind of a tough pill to swallow do you guys think that at least
0: part of it with the undrafted free agents has to do with the fact that Nebraska hasn't been that successful I mean LSU had every single one of their draft eligible players even if they didn't get drafted they still signed as undrafted free agents in part because they just went 15 and oh I think that um, team success especially in a year in which you weren't able to do those workouts when you weren't able to to do the pro day like you were talking about Bronx I think team success is another thing that that people would have ultimately fell back on and because of Nebraska's lack of success not just last year but recently uh, it it certainly minimizes the opportunities that these guys might have
2: yeah I think they've lost the benefit of the doubt in late rounds if you look back at some of Nebraska's Past draft classes and later rounds, you'll see some guys who had OK Husker careers, but you're like, oh, he got drafted, huh? And I think that was a big part of it. Oh, he had the N on his helmet, and people are like, he was well coached, and they've had he's used to winning. Uh, let's bring him in here and see what he can do. So that's out the window. That's what I notice in the later rounds. And then when I watch the first three rounds, what I see is uh, I see college football basically has a 1% right now at the top. It's like five or six programs and everybody else is pretty far behind. There's a gap. I mean, when you watch the film of the guys who get picked in the early rounds from Alabama, LSU, Ohio state, I mean, maybe you throw Clemson. I don't think had as many this year, but in past years, Georgia, uh, there's just a difference between the guys that are going out from those schools. And, uh, the guys you're seeing honestly in the thir- day three of the draft and so uh that's the challenge nebraska's first got to step up the ladder where they're high up among the that second tier of college football programs beyond that five or six teams at the top and then after that you got to figure out a way to bust into that group um so that's a pretty big process but that's what sticks out to me when i watch the draft
1: i, I think the the lack of undrafted free agents too i mean it- it's a bit of – I think that's more of a reflection of kind of what your team is. I mean, you – Young. You, they're very young. You didn't have, you know, a lot of your seniors really contributing all that much this past season. I mean, you look on the offensive side of the ball, you pretty much return everybody. The people that you didn't return weren't, uh, you know, major pieces of the puzzle. Um, you know, defensively, there are a few guys there. But, I mean, the, the – you're kind of, I guess this season to me too, was kind of the, the product of, you know, changing coaches, um, you know, very quickly after Mike Riley was there, you, you lost a ton of guys from that 2016 class that would have been, uh, you know, seniors this coming year or, or just graduated. So, uh, that, that too, is, I think is why you, you didn't see the numbers as high as that. I mean a, a couple of years ago in Nebraska, I think it was a Tanner Lee year. They still had a ton of guys sign contracts or get workouts. And I mean, I just think that that's also a reflection of of, what is it like 90 guys or something on this roster right now, or, you know, weren't on the roster two years ago. I I think that's more, uh, you know, where Nebraska is at right now.
0: All right. So let's, let's kick this forward. We've talked about where Nebraska struggled and, and why, Their draft stock as a program has has dropped a little bit. If they were to rekindle it, where's a position that you would like to see? I mean, we we know Penn State, linebacker, you. Ohio State right now, defensive back, you. LSU also with the defensive backs. Alabama with the wide receivers. Wisconsin, offensive line. Is there a position that if Nebraska were to become good again and you get to see – Nebraska players end up taking in those first couple rounds of the NFL draft, Thursday and Friday. Where's a position that you think you'd like Nebraska to to continually have success at that you think would help them out the most as a program?
2: Offensive line. I mean, I I think I want to see Nebraska start to – Do what Iowa and Wisconsin have been doing in the draft, and then some. And I don't know the specific numbers, but it feels like, you know, Iowa the last few years has a guy that's always there in the first round or two. And I say offensive line because I believe that is doable, Uh, not only because Nebraska has done it in the past, but because I think Greg Austin, one, is a very good coach, and two, has recruited the position very well for incoming guys. I mean, the guys they've gotten. Uh, they don't take a back seat to a lot of guys. I mean, you get Bryce Benhart. Everybody wanted Bryce Benhart. You've got him in your program. You've got a chance to develop a guy like that and turn him into something. And then there's even like local guys like, well, Cameron Juergens, for one, I think has NFL potential. I think guys like Ethan Piper and stuff, they remind me sort of of Husker alignment from yesteryear. But you've got to develop them. And I want to see those guys start to appear in the first day or two of the draft, at least. I was going
1: to say, I was going say offensive line too. I mean, that, I think,
2: I think everyone here would have said yeah. offensive
0: line first,
1: but if there's another position beyond that. Well, I mean, I think, you know, defensive line too. I mean, it, that's, I mean in the big 10, I mean, those are the two areas that Nebraska has been lacking for, you know, a number of years. And, you know, it's, it's kind of the same, same uh, story with the defensive line too. I mean, Nebraska's given up, you know, four and a half, five yards of carry on defense to opponents and, I just think you need to have more difference makers at, at defensive line. I mean, you know, the the Davis twins played a lot of snaps at Nebraska. They were uh, very good at times. You know, Darian Daniels had a, a good season last year, but you need to have more of those guys. I mean, you can see and go back in Nebraska's draft history of recent years what having – A couple of those difference maker type guys can do for your defense. I mean, Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine went in the third round of the same draft a couple of years ago, and that was a pretty good defensive front. I mean, you just need to have more of those types of guys. And I I think that, you know, Nebraska is doing a better job of of getting bodies, um, you know, along the defensive line. They're finding guys with more talent. Uh, Ty Robinson being probably the, the best example of that to me of the last couple of years. But Uh, It it just seemed in in recent years, and and maybe it's because of the turnover of that defensive line coaching position, it just seems like Nebraska has not had quality depth along its defensive line and in the way that it needs to have it in order to be competitive in the Big Ten and certainly get more of those guys drafted.
0: I, I definitely think that those are two that make a lot of sense. Another one, and one that I would argue that is probably the thing Nebraska's produced the best in my lifetime or close to the best, would be defensive back. And I think that you look at what Ohio State has done and not that Nebraska is going to instantly get on that level, but I think you can control a lot of the Big Ten if you have really good defensive back play. Uh, there, You don't have great quarterbacks in this conference very often. Um, and because of that, you, you can take advantage of miscues if you have good defensive back play. And, and I really think that Ohio State, as good as having – And certainly having Chase Young makes your defensive backs better too. But having guys that can take away wide receivers, that can take away weapons, that force the quarterback to double clutch, that give the defensive line one or two extra seconds, that stuff really, really matters. And I I think that, you know, defensive back is going to be a big part of this for Nebraska and as they go forward. Obviously they have to do well in the trenches against teams like an Iowa or against a team like, Wisconsin but in the other part of this conference and going against some of the skill position guys that they're going to have to play and on teams like Iowa Wisconsin Minnesota wherever Minnesota especially you're going to have to have good defensive back play and and so I I think that that is a position that jumps out to me and and all three of those I think are really important and even more so than you get to the skill position guys I, I I don't envision Nebraska is going to be a school that's known for wide receivers anytime soon um It could be a school that produces quarterbacks at a fairly high level, but that has to be seen. And it used to be a school that produced running backs almost every other year. So we'll see if it it returns to that. But I I really do think that offensive line would be first and foremost. And then I think you get to that defensive line, defensive back conversation, Mm -hmm. and that is going to reflect how Nebraska can turn this thing around. Those positions have to be key sources of success for Nebraska – under Scott Frost to really turn this thing forward and be more than a middling program.
2: To put a positive spin on this, I felt like maybe when Khalil got drafted, if you're a glass half full person, you could say, maybe this is a turning point in this Nebraska draft story. You know, turning they, point. well, they ended the drought and I think next year, don't tell that to Darren erstad. He hates turning points. I <laughs> and bat flips. Um, <laughs> But I think uh, I think with getting off the board and getting a couple guys drafted, and then maybe Brendan Hymas can sneak into the or somebody like that can sneak into the first two days next year, and you get multiple picks. And then we're talking we start to get to those guys in a couple years from the nineteen and twenty recruiting classes, um, who people are excited about and have hope for, and who who need to help turn this program around. And so this conversation it feels like a lot in this program always comes back to that 2019 recruiting class. And I think you could even look at that when you talk about the future drafts is there's a lot of guys in there who you like their surface level stuff when they arrive to the program. Now it's can they keep growing every year to so they get to that point where, you know, one of these years in like three years, you have like six or seven guys taken, you know, that's that's what you're hoping for. So hopefully that was the end of the drought. And now they can slowly up, upgrade uh, the numbers each year all right let's take a quick time out when we come back Nebraska
0: has picked up commitments in both basketball and football here recently we'll get into what that means especially with the football commitment another offensive lineman for Nebraska this one out of Utah we'll have that discussion we'll get Brunson's thoughts on the new basketball edition that and more on the other half of the Husker 24-7 podcast
2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: We are back and we don't have any new Fox terms for you, so let's just get started with it right away. Nebraska picked up a commitment on Monday night from Branson Yeager. They actually got it on Sunday. He announced it on Monday night. Uh six foot seven. He says six eight. Three hundred and thirty-pound offensive lineman out of Utah. Uh the Huskers. Don't go into Utah very often and have a lot of success, but it's been an area under Tony Tuyote where they've certainly tried here in the last class or so. Branson Yeager is a is an interesting guy because it's the third commitment of Nebraska's five, the third offensive line commitment in Nebraska's five committed person class. All three of those offensive linemen make up a sort of segment of a mountain range on their own. You have Teddy Prohaska at six foot eight, nearly six nine. 280 pounds could be heavier than that. Now you have Henry Lutowski at 6'6", 330, and you have Branson Yeager now at 6'7", maybe 6'8", 330. So some giant offensive linemen to go with the Giants that Nebraska has been recruiting. Greg Austin has really done a nice job since he's gotten here in terms of adding to Nebraska's offensive line class. Is started ugly with that 2018 group in which Willie Canty was the only extra addition that they made, and that was after rolling through a number of different guys that didn't fit what they wanted. And then it got better in a hurry, and I think we're going to start to see that with the 2019 group in the uh, 2020 season. Certainly that 2020 class with Alex Kahn and Turner Corcoran out of Kansas are going to be guys that are interesting. But Branson Yeager, not a highly recruited guy in terms of his ranking, but someone that may have blown up with the evaluation period. Nebraska really wanted him. They get the commitment. What are your initial thoughts, BC?
2: I looked at his offer list because you're right, his ranking wasn't as high, and his offer list doesn't run incredibly long. But if you look at the teams who did, I I always like to look at which coaches offered and what I kind of think of those guys. And Iowa State, I believe, was one of the offers. And I'm pretty big on, like, how they evaluate guys under Matt Campbell. And uh, Virginia, I mean, obviously, Bronco knows that area, having coached at BYU. But I think he's a really good football coach, too, and recruits well to what they're doing. And so that kind of stuck out to me. is I, I thought, like, some guys who know the game and you can trust as pretty good recruiters and stuff like that, are in on this guy he feels and sometimes when you see that it's like okay more people are going to come along and offer him as this process goes on and I I just like how sure he was when he talked to you Schaefer and our people at 24-7 sports about Nebraska and just how much it fit even though he didn't get to take his normal spring visit here.
1: Brunch your thoughts? Yeah I I I like what Greg Austin has done with recruiting the offensive line linemen the last couple of years and I, I I think they've done a nice job of finding guys that that fit a position, and I, I say that because it seems like in the past where Nebraska's tried to they've recruited a guy that's probably a guard, but they've had to play him at tackle, or you know, vice versa, or move guys around, and it, it seems like they, they've really found a pretty good. Uh, momentum, I think, for recruiting offensive tackles. Um, you know, I think Jaeger's a, a big physical kid. Um, you know, I, I think he's probably like most high school offensive linemen where, you know, technique probably needs to get a little bit better. I mean, when you're, when you're the biggest guy in the field, you're usually able to lean on guys a little bit more uh, than you will at the college level. Uh, probably needs to to reshape his body a little bit. But, you know, I, it's some of these these guys that, you know, we're starting to pick up some some speed this spring. I feel like would have uh, had a little bit more momentum recruiting wise. Had there had they been able to make visits, had coaches been able to get out on the road this spring, I think he he kind of fits that. Also, Tyler Morrow, uh, who Nebraska offered last night too, another big uh, physical tackle out of uh, Iowa. So I think it's a good get. He, he's obviously fired up about Nebraska and. I, I think this is the point in the recruiting class where we have to start asking, I mean, Nebraska's only recruiting linemen. Where are they going to get some skill players?
0: Yeah, this is the opposite of, what was it, 2017, where Nebraska never recruited any offensive linemen ever and only recruited wide receivers, and yet one of those positions was in dire need multiple years later. Yes. The offensive line necessarily. So I, I liken this commitment a little bit to Alex Kahn, another guy that felt like Nebraska liked a lot. He was a regional player for him. They went in, they went and got that commitment. They didn't mess around with it. They didn't play games with this recruitment. That's how they did with Branson Yeager too. I mean, they saw the film, they evaluated, they offered in late February, early March. He was coming out in March 20. If this commitment might've happened a month ago, if the timeline would have been usable for him at that time, but they they continued working on it. I, I wouldn't say that they pushed for the commitment necessarily, but I think they wanted him to know that the door was open, but they also have some other offensive linemen that they're looking at. And it's, you know, people wanted to, to kind of disparage it a little bit because he's not that highly rated. And I get that, but I think you have to take into account the time of year in which they're taking this commitment. I mean, Nebraska's shown an ability with the staff that they can close late right now. So I think it also shows that they didn't necessarily feel like they had to scramble or do anything, uh, to get offensive linemen if they were willing to, to take this guy early because he fits what they want to do. And there's still, you mentioned Tyler Merrill. I mean, you have Marcus Mbau out there. There's uh, Gino Vandermark from New Jersey, former teammate of Ramir Johnson. I would keep an eye on him. He's a guard. He's only six foot four, so he might not be tall enough to get into the offensive line room at this point. Um, but we'll see if that's the case. So I, I think that I think that Nebraska will take – they'll definitely take one more. I think they might take up to two more because there could be some attrition. They have three guys graduating and Christian Gaylord, and then you have Brendan Hymas and Matt Farniak and we'll see kind of what they end up doing there. But I, Bo Wilson too. Bo Wilson, yeah. So there's four. There's four guys graduating. Um, and I think that because of that, Nebraska wants to stock its line room. So they're not in this situation where they have to desperately go get a junior college guy, or they have to go get a grad transfer. I mean, if you think about what they've done, we talk about this a lot with defensive back, the The wholesale change of what that offensive line room looks like at Nebraska now, and the classes that they'll have stacked up between 2019 and, well, in 2018, you count Cameron Jurgens especially and, and his backup Will Farniak, but, what they've done with that position group is nothing short of of remarkable. And if their development is what we think it could be with Greg Austin, they've really positioned themselves nicely to the point that, you know, in the future they could be very choosy about the offensive lineman that they, they want to take because they've built up the room that it will have an actual next man up and not a, oh, God, we got to go find a tackle. You know, those days are gone. And
1: I think that's really important. In terms of the team building structure of what they're doing, Greg Austin talked about that in March about how one issue that they've had and and this he was talking specifically about the offensive line, but he also mentioned across the board they've had this issue where you know you have an injury and you're, you they've had to scramble to to fill that role or you know you you graduate somebody and all of a sudden you're you're having to rely on a walk on who's Really young, um, and kind of has to take their lumps a little bit. Like they, Nebraska hasn't had a next man up at a lot of offensive line positions for quite a while, and you've seen that. You know, when you, when you've had to to move guys around or somebody's been ineffective, and you know somebody had to go play center in the past or you know move to guard or whatever, you, you just haven't had the numbers. You haven't had talented guys to, to step in, and and I, I think that's. I mean. You look at that class where they had it was Brant Banks, Ethan Piper, Matt Anderson, uh, Fritchie, Bryce Benhart. I mean, there's just that's a ton of guys. And then you're you're looking at maybe a five man offensive line class this time this time around too. I mean, I, you've got competition. You've got um, you know guys that are going to be fighting for jobs, but at the same time, you, you're allowing yourself to to let these young guys get in the weight room with Zach Duval, work out, reshape their bodies and not have to be, you know, facing Ohio State as an underweight uh, redshirt freshman, which Nebraska's had to do in the past. So, I mean, that, that's the luxury of building that depth. And I, I think it you're seeing that kind of approach in two areas, certainly. I think offensive line's a big one. And, and like Schaefer said, the defensive back room, they, they finally got some depth there too.
2: I thought it was a big deal just that to- – Somebody raised their hand, too. It was, it was getting to the point where it felt like Nebraska needed to, to add somebody on the commitment list and and kind of get a little juice going. Because um, if you look right now, you, they are a little bit behind in the numbers with some other programs. Uh, I don't know how big a deal that is. But, Schaefer, is there, a, is there a guy or two who you think could still pop pretty soon? I know it's a little harder to project right now in this current time we're in but you, do you think somebody's close?
0: Yeah, there, there's a couple guys. I mean, you have Seth Malcolm, the the athlete outside linebacker out of Western Iowa. I, I expect Nebraska is going to get that commitment. I thought it, it might have happened, you know, last week. It, it hasn't happened yet, but I still feel pretty good about where Nebraska sits there. That one could happen here shortly. Uh, then Jalen Noel, I, I had an interesting conversation with him on my radio show. He talked about how if, Something were to happen to his visit weekend. He's currently slated to come June 12th and then Iowa State June 19th. If the NTAA does not allow for visits in June, if that gets pushed back, and there's a possibility that that could happen, then he said that he will go ahead and make a decision in the month of May. He doesn't want to drag it out any longer than that. He wants to take those visits before he makes a decision, but he also said that he wants to be able to make a decision and not sit there and hold everybody, force them to wait, force himself to wait. Uh, and I get the sense that Nebraska's maybe ahead right now um, in part because of the work of Matt Lubick and Ryan Held and, and where they've kind of positioned themselves, but I'm not as confident in that one as I am with Seth Malcolm. And then from there, you know, I was talking of a couple of Nebraska's commitments and they, they like where Nebraska sits with another Iowa guy. Um, they don't, I don't think that Nebraska's overtaken Wisconsin yet, but I think TJ Bowler's that's still going to be a bigger battle uh, than maybe what people expect, because I know there's, there's a lot of expectation right now that he's just going to issue Nebraska and he's going to go to, he's going to go to Wisconsin. The local guys I think are going to take it into June. Uh, if Heinrich Arberg were to get an offer, I could see that one going relatively quick. So there's, there's definitely some things happening and, and, could happen pretty quickly for Nebraska. But I also just sort of anticipate the way that they have this thing set up is they want to get to June. You know, if they get a kid or two in between, they're great. But they want to get to June, and then that's kind of when those numbers, you might get those commitments and flurries type of thing, as they've done in the past. So we'll we'll see how that plays out. Speaking of commitments and flurries, Nebraska basketball. They, uh, they went like a whole week without adding a player and then just decided on Tuesday morning – It was time to go into the D2 ranks, the University of uh, Indianapolis, I think?
1: That's correct.
0: And uh, they went and found themselves a guard who will sit out the 2020-2021 season, but will then be available to splish and splash in Nebraska's three-point offense. Brunts, what do you got for us?
1: Yeah, Trevor Lakes uh, out of the University of Indianapolis. He's a sit-one-play-one transfer, Um, a guy who – Made a lot of three-pointers. Um, in his three years there, 1,000 points, 400 rebounds. Made 235 three-pointers uh, during his, his three seasons there. So kind of the, the, the perfect fit for Fred Hoiberg's system. Um, and because go back to what we kind of talked about after Nebraska had their five guys sign, they want to be able to rebound from every spot. And they want to be bigger at certain spots. And Lakes is every bit of 6'7, 230. Uh, he can definitely rebound. Um, and, and he can also knock down shots. I mean, you, you go back to last season and you know, Nebraska struggled to shoot the three-pointer in a way that I don't think that Fred Hoyberg was really expecting. I, I think they, they thought they had guys in place who uh, could make some of those shots, Matei Kavas being one that uh, never really took off at Nebraska. But, you know, for a guy like Trevor Lakes, I I think it's important that you are able to come in, you're able to kind of get used to going against a a higher level of competition and practices for a season, get used to the system, uh, you know, weight train and, and, and kind of bulk yourself up a little bit uh, at a place like Nebraska and, and come in and have a really good senior season. So he was coveted by a number of Big Ten programs. Uh, Illinois was was heavily involved there. So th- this is a, a nice win. And, you know, when he, when he announced that he was transferring and, and started to get a little bit of run, our national guys were, were talking to him quite a bit. It, he just seemed like a guy that would be perfect for Hoiberg's system. And I, I think it's a, it's a nice piece. He doesn't need to, to come in and, and be the guy right away next season. And now they have one scholarship uh, still open for this class. They're, they're hoping that that would be Adama Sunogo, uh, the high school freshman. We'll see. But um, th- this is a, another nice piece, I think, for Nebraska in the future. And, and not only that, but uh, I believe it's Kisei Tomonaga, the, the Japanese Juco player that shoots 50% from three-point range. He's part of that 2021 class right now. So you, you put him out there, you put Lakes out there, and uh, th- those are two guys that you have to really account for uh, on the perimeter and, and really have to – are, are going to challenge opposing defenses with their spacing.
0: All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we depart and come back later this week? You learned anything else
2: about Fox? Foxes? Fox no. Eye? No I have, I have no more Fox knowledge. Um, Bruns will have to do some research and fill us in next week. I know you guys were disappointed. I shaved the beard because there was some talk. We would do a video cast with the beard. You look 12. Week. Yeah, I know. but that's, that's where I'm best looking 12. I think you, so.
1: You look fresher though. You, you look like a guy that's thriving in, in quarantine, so
2: This fresh face.: what, Is that an insult?? No, I, no, it, I say I say that as
1: somebody who badly needs a haircut, and BC Whoa. just looks like he's he's got uh, life by the balls there.
2: <laughs> I, we both had our hat backwards, like we're uh, Tony from Seinfeld that George Costanza wants to hang out with. Yeah, trying to be cool guys. Yeah, um, yeah. This fresh face matches my muscles. Twelve years old look, <laughs> lack right. thereof. I I
0: don't have any. I don't think. I have anything to add to to BC's 12 year old face. Uh, So let's just go ahead and end this thing. You can check out all of our work at Husker 24 seven. We'll be back with another podcast later this week.